same page, but the title of my message this morning is um, Unexpected Answers. Unexpected Answers. Have you ever had an unexpected answer or an unexpected result? Let me give you a couple of examples of these things that I believe will help us get all on the same page. But have you ever been to a restaurant and you order some food and you're sitting there and they bring you out this beautiful plate of food? The only problem is it's just not the food you ordered. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, hey, that looks great, but it's not what I wanted. I, I, you know, I wanted this, you know, you brought me chicken and I ordered steak or whatever the case may be. That's not what I wanted. You know, or you get this where the order gets mixed up. You get somebody else's food. Your, your food got taken to a different table and they're like, oh, sorry. And they go back and they're like, oh, we just got the tables mixed up. Here's your food. Here's their food, right? Am I the only person that ever has those things happen to me? I'm not very happy. Why? Because I didn't get what I asked for. Now, I'm a pretty uh, direct person in the sense of I said what I wanted. You should have written it down, right? I'm one of those guys that if you don't write it down, I'm just going to throw in some curveballs just to see if you get it right. And uh, so if you have ever waited anybody, I'm sorry. I'm that guy. Um, But, uh, or what's even worse than, than either of those is you go through the drive-thru and you don't check it, right? And you get home, you might even change, you go sit down, you get comfy, and you open it up, and your, your burger that you didn't want, you know, ketchup, pickles, onions on, all those things. All of a sudden you sit down, and what is it? It's, somebody, it's either somebody else's burger, or somebody got it wrong, right? I actually went to a place here recently when we were on vacation. Uh, I went to this, I drove up. I'll tell you what it is. It was called Moe's Southwest Grill, which is, I don't know. Anyhow, they had out at the drive-thru, it wasn't even a speaker. It was a screen. And you typed, I want the nachos, and I want this, this, and this. I don't want that. I don't want that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of dummy proof. It's, you know, I didn't understand you. I typed it on the screen, you know. And, uh, but you get home and you realize that this is not what I ordered. Is that not frustrating? Why? You got an unexpected something that you didn't want. Now, I'm, a, I'm just going to tell on myself a little bit, and I, and I know this. I have never shared this story with you, 100%, because it's embarrassing. <laughs> but as I was preparing and praying, the Lord just brought this back up to me. I'm like, Dad, come it. And uh, so this was when me and Dare were dating. So let me qualify this. It's almost 20 years ago. And, uh, but we were dating, and many of you know that I am very fond of my Dr. Pepper. And uh, so we had gone. We were actually going to a friend of mine's house. We were getting together that night. And so it was kind of one of those grab your own food and come over. And I don't remember what all we were doing, but uh, I know it had to do with some church stuff and this and that. And uh, so I'm running, or we were running a little bit late because I was having to wait on my wife. And I don't like being late. Uh, it's probably one of my greatest pet peeves in life. Um, like a minute to me is late. Like, you know, I mean, it just is. It's just the way I'm wired. And I think, and as I was thinking about this, I think I know why it drives me so crazy. Because there was a time in my life that it didn't bother me at all to be 10 or 15, 20 minutes late. And people kept calling me on it. So I just made a determination. I'm never going to be late. So anyhow, so that's the backstory. So needless to say, I'm waiting for my one day to be wife to come. Who does not have the same value of promptness as I do. And uh, so anyhow, so I'm, I'm a little perturbed. A little perturbed, just a little bit. Now, again, this is 20 years ago. I would like to think I'm somewhat better. I say somewhat because I know I'm not totally better. I'm somewhat better today. That's why we have two cars. That's what I tell her. Because if you're not on time, I'll leave. And uh, that's not the nicest thing. Husbands, I would not encourage you to tell your wives that. 
It hasn't worked well for me. So just take, take my fault and deal with it. So anyhow, so Derek comes to the house finally, you know, because she lived about 45 minutes away. And um, at the time, 45 minutes, 50 minutes away. And so the plan was, or no, I'm sorry. She came from work. That's right. She was at work. She was coming to my parents' house to meet me there. And we were going to change and we were going to go to this deal. So we're late, like 15 minutes late. So I'm already annoyed. And uh, so we go through the drive-thru and we order our food and, you know, didn't really, didn't check it because I'm in a hurry, right? Get down the road and I'm cruising, speeding, driving like a madman, you know, because I'm trying to make up time now. And so I open my taco. Now, I can tell you, uh, I hate iceberg lettuce. Like, I don't just dislike it. Like, I hate it. Like, I really do. There's no point. There's no flavor. It adds nothing to it. Give me some other something that at least has some nutritional value or at least some flavor to it. Iceberg has no point. None. At all. On the face of the planet, God could remove it. Praise the Lord. I know some of you are like, well, what's wrong with it? It's because you douse it in ranch and you call it good. You just like ranch. You don't like the iceberg lettuce. Trust me on this. Anyhow, moving right along. So, I open up my first taco, and it's nighttime, and I'm not looking, and I bite into it, and guess what I bite into? <laughs> Some iceberg lettuce, and I'm ticked off because they got my order wrong, right? And I'm just, so the aggravation is just building. Now, I know none of you are fleshly like this. I, I mean, I know y'all are so lovable and so gracious. I'm at the point of steaming at this point, actually. I'm furious. I really, I mean, I am like vein popping out of my neck. I'm, I'm mad. And so I grab my drink to take a sip to get this nasty flavor out of my mouth and I drink Pepsi, which I also strongly dislike. I was so mad, I rolled down the window and I just chunked it all out the window. And Darius like, because that's not really my personality per se I was so frustrated because I didn't get what I wanted right and Dara's like do you want to stop and get you something else to eat I'm like no we don't have time we could have had time but now we don't have time and now I'm hungry right that's probably about how I answered it too by the way just in all transparency I'm very frustrated but yet I'm supposed to go to this church gathering and be a Christian and lovely and a leader and all these things. Bless God. But I was frustrated because I didn't get what I wanted. I got something that I had not ordered. And it totally threw me for a loop. You know, many times this happens even uh, in our relationship with the Lord. You can call it whatever you want, but I'm going to, for the sake of conversation this morning, I'm going to call it an unexpected answer. Because sometimes the Lord gives us unexpected answers and they can throw us for a loop and we want to act like I did that day and just chunk some stuff. Just throw it out the window. I don't even want, I don't even want the smell of it around me. You know, and we actually see this in, in the Bible in the children of Israel. And I want to walk you down a path this morning, if you will. I I want us to look at some things together. Because I believe in this moment that we are walking through, which I've already acknowledged can be somewhat awkward, that we can also lose track of what God is doing simply because it looks differently than what we thought. 
Or it's not happening the way it was supposed to happen. Or at least according to us. Now I say that we because I'm included in this. This wasn't in some great plan. This wasn't some well put together thought. Like I'm not smart enough to do these things quite frankly. But, but yet we can have this moment many times. And so let me give you another example of some other ways that this happens in our life. Have you ever asked the Lord to teach you patience? Or to make me more like, you know, Lord, make me more like you? And then he sends this less than lovable person into your life. You could also call them an annoying person. Not realizing that that person is actually the answer to your prayer. Yeah, but God, they're annoying. Couldn't you have gotten somebody less annoying? Like there's billions of people on the planet. You had to pick the one that just drives me the craziest. And God's thinking, yeah, but you asked for patience. You, you asked for me to help you grow. You know, you get in a work environment. And your boss is driving you crazy. And you're just like, Lord, just do something special with them. <laughs> just do whatever you need to do. And then maybe that boss leaves. And then one even worse comes in place. And you're thinking, God, this is not the answer. I left this job to go to this job. Because I thought this was you. And I thought it was going to be better. And this is not better. And God, I am not okay with this. Am I the only person that ever told God that? No. I mean, I can, I can give you another personal example of this. Two weeks after me and Derek found out we were, or I know it was three weeks. Three weeks after we found out that we were the pastors of this church, I found out she was pregnant. And I'm like, God, you missed something here. I had insurance two weeks ago. Right? That's an unexpected answer. I had a lot of prayer time about that one. Because what? I had to get to the place. Okay, God, you knew this. You saw this. You're going to make provision. And he did. No doubt about it. But it was in the moment I had a little freak out. I know you're not nodding your head because you don't want to identify with what I'm talking about. But the truth is we all have freak out moments. We all have moments where it's like, God, what are you doing? Why? And many times, it's actually our fault. Why? Because we've prayed. And we've asked God to move. And we've asked God to work. And and we've had our faith on the line. And then when the answer comes, it's just differently than what we thought. And so now we struggle in our mind because it's not our plan. But it's never supposed to be about our plan. It's always about what is God wanting to do in my life, through my life? What does he want to use me to do? And many times we can struggle in this moment. You ever prayed for your spouse and God starts talking to you about you? That's another joyous one. Lord, just fix my wife, fix my husband. And God says, all right, let me fix you. so Because if I can get you to... Love better, it'll actually help fix them too. See, that's the unexpected answer that I don't like. I'm like, come on, God, go just go talk to her. Leave me alone. Fix her. You know, it's funny. God has never given me anything corrective in nature for my wife. 
We've been married for 15 years. Not one time. Ever. I can't tell you the laundry list that I have of corrective instructions he's given me for me, though. It just... 15 years. He just talks to me about me. Yeah, but Lord, fix her. I'm trying to fix you, David. And if I can fix you, it'll help her. So, let me give you an example uh, of this, scripturally speaking. It's probably the clearest example we see in all of Scripture. We're going to read over in Luke chapter 4. You know, let me give you the backstory of this. We're going to talk about Jesus this morning. And really, um, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people had an expectation of who the Savior would be, what He would do, what He came to establish. Their thought and their understanding was this, is that there was a Messiah coming, but that He was going to set up an earthly kingdom. He was going to rule. He was going to reign. In other words, they were going to be the global power. The nation of Israel, who had always been a a, a, kind of a secondary story to many people, was now going to become very important in the role of really the world. And so they were looking for what? A conquering king. They were looking for somebody more like David who was a a warrior and a fighter and he conquered tons of area and expanded the nation of Israel. And even scripturally speaking, they would look back and they would say things like, you know, that his throne will be that of David. Well, why are they talking about that? Because David was a conqueror. He established through, uh, through war, if you will, but he expanded the kingdom of God. And so they, were, they had this mindset, even into the sense of that their government would rule. That, man, we're going to have like an emperor. And he's going to rule everything. And here in Luke chapter 4, this is a fairly familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it in context just so we have the full picture. But it says that Jesus, when, verse 14, it says, Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It says the news about him spread through the entire region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised and glorified and honored by all. Now I want you to catch that right there. It says that he, as he taught, he was praised, glorified, and honored by all. So people recognized the gift that Jesus was. And it says, and so this was, so it goes on. So in other words, Jesus has some fame. He, he has a name. In verse 16, it says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to his hometown. And as his custom, uh, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. I just realized I'm in the wrong translation. There we go. I should have been looking up the screen. Verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, I've read that verse many times here in our church. Verse 20, though, it continues, and it says, He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And it says, All the eyes or all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. It says, Then he began to speak to them and, and say, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, because we don't understand Jewish culture of the day. What they knew about the Messiah was that he would stand up and he would quote these verses. 
So it wasn't just some random thing that Jesus was just kind of close my eyes and pick something in the scroll and yeah, that looks good, let's read that. It was not just significant, it was something that everybody had been taught since they were a child. Everybody knew the significance of what Jesus had just read. So this isn't just some scriptures loosely that he is sharing. What it is though is that, he, and he even speaks to them, and that's why everybody's looking at him going, I've heard this before. The Messiah is supposed to stand up and read these verses. And now he's saying, these scriptures are fulfilled. And so what he's really saying is, you are looking at the Messiah. And, that's, and everybody in the room knew it. There was not one person in the church who did not know what he was proclaiming. Now here's the thing. Jesus was not the first to do it. Jesus, he actually talked about these. Before me, there were thieves and there were robbers. In other words, there were imposters. There were fakers. There were people who pr- proclaimed to be the Messiah but were not. And yet Jesus here says, this scripture has been fulfilled. It says in verse 22, it says, Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. So again, when he's not in his own hometown, it says, um, let me see, where did it say that? Let me scroll back up. Oh, that was no translation. Anyhow, it says he was greatly respected, praised, all those things. He was honored. And here, these people are saying, man, we think well of him and we're amazed at what he says. But listen to this phrase. How can this be? How can it be? If you're claiming to be the Messiah, that's impossible. We know you. We know your background. We know your family. We know where you're from. It says, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? See, they got an unexpected answer. They had been believing for this Messiah to come. They had been believing for this breakthrough to come. They were believing for the shame of Israel to be removed. And yet when Jesus stood before him, they said, no way. Not him. It's not possible. Verse 1, Jesus responds and says, You will say undoubtedly, or you will undoubtedly, um, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, by, by meaning it's do miracles in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. Verse 24, he goes on, he says, I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. So in this moment, here is the Messiah. Not a fake, not a fraud, the answer, the promise. The one that had been spoken of for thousands of years. The one who God said, I will send to settle the debt of sin and of shame and of all that comes with that. This is him. And because of their familiarity with him, let me say it another way, because of their lack of ability to recognize God moving, they rejected it. Because it was an unexpected answer. To give you some understanding, even when Jesus is going around uh, gathering his uh, original 12 disciples, they go to Nathaniel and they say, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. We know who he is. And he says, where is he from? He says, Nazareth. And he said, and here's his response. Can anything good come from there? Like, is it actually possible? Like, even the city that Jesus was born in, Bethlehem, is this little tiny city that had no meaning. 
It had no significance up to that moment. Except that that's the place that God chose that the Messiah would be born. And even in this moment, he grows up in Nazareth. He's a Nazarene. And there's this attitude of, really? We know him. We know his brothers. We, I mean, we played ball with them. We grew up around them. We know his sisters. We know his mom and his dad. Because of the way that the answer came, it looked very differently than what they ever thought. People struggled throughout Jesus' ministry. All the way until after his death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because even the disciples thought. They're like, Lord, when are you going to come into power? Why? Because even the closest disciples were there really more for them than they were for Jesus. They were there because they thought when Jesus rises to power, guess what? I'm one of his boys. I'm, right, I'm his right-hand man. Peter's like, I see a path here, man. I've got, I've got a career ambition here. And I'm going to go from being a lowly nobody fisherman to I'm going to have some authority. I'm going to have some power. That's the, the thought that's going on. So Jesus was misunderstood pretty much from day one. By his own family. They didn't even believe he was the Messiah. By those who were around him. And yet he was the one that God had sent. He was the answer. Let me read you this over. Well, tell you what. Let me, let me read this same passage. Or same account if you will. Out of Matthew chapter 13 verse 54. It says uh, that Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. It says, when he taught in the synagogue, everyone was amazed. And they said, where did he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? It says, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? Verse 57. And they were deeply offended. They were deeply offended. Now they recognized that, hey... This guy, there's something to him, but it says they were deeply offended and they refused to believe him. It says, then Jesus told him a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. See, even Jesus, and it goes from one perspective where they're amazed by his wisdom. They're, they're really astonished by his ability to understand scripture and to communicate spiritual truth and, and, and the miracles that happened. And yet they went from being amazed to being offended. You know, that happens with us. All of us are prone to this. Anytime that God answers in a way that we're not okay with, we're susceptible to become offended. Well, God, this isn't what I wanted. God, I, I prayed, but I, I didn't know this was the answer. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you give me a heads up? Why didn't you unfold all of this before now? And what happens when we become offended is exactly what it says here at the last, or verse 58. It says that he could only do a few miracles because of their unbelief. You know, anytime that we allow offense to come in, and let me say it this way, and especially towards God. You're like, well, you can't be offended of God. Sure you can. You can take exception to anything you want to. But God, this is, I'm not okay with this. 
why would you do this? And, and take on offense in that manner. What happens when we take offense is that we hinder. Like, let me say it this way. I'll just give you a natural example. Let's just say that you became offended at me. Guess what? The word that I preach is actually going to be hindered in your life. Even though it's the word of God. If there's something, if there was something, well, the same is true with God in our relationship with him. If we get offended, in other words, we take exception to something that God has done, it will hinder God's ability to work in your life. Not only that, at an even greater level, if we take an offense, it will hinder God's work, not just in our church, but also in our city. Even this moment that we're walking through, which is unique and different and Awkward and all these things. We have to be careful that the enemy doesn't come in and start accusing even the father to us. Why? Because we need to walk through this season full of faith, trusting in God. God, I don't have to have all the answers. If I had to have all the answers, I would have never taken a step of faith following God. Never. Every step of faith that I've ever had to take, it was always with questions. That's why it's faith and not knowledge. If I had all my questions answered, I would have understanding. Okay, God, I sign off on all of those. Okay, I'll do it. That's not the way God works. God requires us to what? To trust Him. To walk in faith, which is, God, I don't see this next moment, but I'm going to step into it trusting that you're already there for me. And I've had to do that many, many times in my life. It's not easy. But yet it does create growth. It does create this steadfastness of heart. That God, I don't have to see everything. But I trust your voice. And I trust your leading. And I trust who you are. Because that's where growth happens. Is sometimes out there in that unknown. And sometimes we take steps and we're like, God, are you still here? God, I've been praying and I've been asking you to work. And man, I just don't seem to be getting the answer. This isn't shaking out the way I thought it was going to. And in those moments, we can, if we're not careful, we can open up our heart and become offended at God and not even realize it. You know, many things in the kingdom of God seem to be paradox, if you will. They don't seem to, to line up. It's like, if you want to be great, become the servant. If you want to be blessed, start sowing. Like, I mean, it's just like, these just don't seem to line up. If you want to see God do the impossible, you have to step into the impossible. And that means say that. How do I say it that way? Because the impossible means it's never been done. So here's a not so nice to say that a way to say that is we're gonna figure it out as we go. Right? Like I'm gonna take a step and figure out what to do in that step. And I'm gonna take the next step and I'm gonna figure out what to do in that step. And then I'm gonna do the next step and the next step and the next step. And and why is that important? Because I never knew any of those steps until I stepped into them. And then God would give me the wisdom I needed for that moment. Then you take another step into that next moment, and God gives you wisdom for that moment. And then God, you take a step. And before long, you look back and you're like, I'm doing what they said I couldn't do. I'm doing what everybody else said was impossible to do. But I've stepped out into this, not with all of my questions answered, but just knowing, God, you have me. 
You have me in this moment. You have me in the next moment. You have me at every moment of every breath of every day that I will ever live. Therefore, I trust you. I mean, you go look throughout Scripture. There's so many times where God worked and people were just way outside of themselves. And yet God showed up for them. So let me kind of break this a little, a little further down into this moment because there are things in our day-to-day life that this applies to. God will answer many times. But even in this moment where we're looking at as a church, and so I want to speak to you, you know, one of the things I shared with you a couple weeks ago was I asked you for the opportunity to pastor you through this transition. So I'm going to pastor you for a few moments, if that's okay. Why? Because this is an... This moment is actually an unexpected answer for all of us. I wasn't praying for God to open a door for us to step into. I wasn't looking. None of you were. We're all shocked. I get it. Me included. And I've had the most time to process it of anybody. And I still have questions. And I still have things that I'm wrestling through. Now, I know it's the Lord, but just because you know it's the Lord doesn't mean that that automatically answers all your questions either. Sometimes I think when I know it's the Lord, I have less answers. I just know it's Him, and I'm like, dang it. But that's why it takes faith. So, you know, I know that over these last number of years, many of you have connected not so much, and even though I know that we're loved, and I know you guys care for us, and we care for you, But I know that many of you have connected to the vision that God has placed in our heart more than me. And that's important. That was always my goal. I'm not trying to be somebody, become somebody. I could care less. All I care about is when I stand before God as he said, you did what I told you to do. That's all I care about. But I know that many of you have have grabbed hold of what God has been doing here. And, And so even as... You know, and, and so we, you've been praying and believing and you've served God and you've given of your finances and you've um, really bought into what God was doing here. And let me continue it by saying this, what God is doing. This is just a moment. And in a year from now, you'll look back and say, well, that wasn't so bad. But right now, it seems like it. It can Why? Because of the strain of the moment, the uncertainty of the moment, the frustration of the moment. This is why we have to be spiritual people and actually be spiritually minded first. So you grabbed hold of this, but the reality is is that God has answered our prayers. It's just not the way we thought it was going to come. It looks differently. But just because something looks differently doesn't mean it's not the Lord either. I mean, I've shared with you over the last number of years that I believe that God wanted to use our church to do something significant in our community. That we were going to have influence to shape the culture of this area. I believe this is part of that. It's not an end of that. I think it's the beginning of that. And yet we can become, let me say this, we can lose our, our, our sense of, of groundedness, our anchor, if you will, in this moment. Well, no, Jesus is still the anchor. He's the focus. 
And, and so, but you have to be careful and guard your heart in this moment. Why? Because the enemy will come with accusations. Oh, well, they're not telling you everything. There's something else going on. I mean, I, I'm pretty much an open book. You got questions, come ask me. I can give you dates. I can give you moments. I mean, I can tell you exactly how this unfolded. And I, if you have questions, I would love to sit down with you. Why? Because I know the devil loves the uncertainty and loves the questions and loves all the details. And he wants to get in there and try to make accusations. But at the end of the day, it really comes back to What's the Lord speaking to your heart? I mean, I can tell you all the details, but that doesn't matter, Jack, if you don't have peace in your heart. And yet you can know none of the details and still have peace and say, I know this is the Lord. Even when it doesn't look like the way I wanted it to look. God, I had a plan. I I had my, my, you know, I had what I thought was what my life would look like. Well, that's all shifting for all of us. It's not easy for anybody. I get it. But that's why we serve a God. That's, that's why we trust in Him. That's why we place our, our faith in Him. I don't need all the answers. He's got them. He'll tell me when I need them. That's easy to say. It's hard to do. Because I'm impatient. I'll tell you when you need to know. You just don't need to God, just tell me. You already know. Just tell me. He's like, no. I'll tell you when you need to know. You just don't need to know yet. I'm like, Dad, gummit. It's frustrating. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, fairly familiar passage of Scripture. But it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It says, do not depend upon your own understanding. In other words, put no confidence in your own understanding, your own thoughts, your own wisdom. Don't even trust in it. Trust in the Lord, not yourself, not your own mental ability. Verse 6 says, seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you the path to take. Seek him and he will show you. Seek him and he will show you. He's not going to show you until you seek him. But if you seek him, he says, I'll show you. Verse 7 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. You're like, well, what does that look like? Well, if I was in charge of this, I would. Let me just help Pastor Jason out for a moment. Let me help pastor you. Anytime that you think, if I was in charge, I would do. Can I just be straightforward with you? You have no idea what all he's facing and what all he's dealing with on his plate. And I don't mean that in a, in a wrong way. It's just the facts. The moment that I became the pastor of this church... Something settled on me that I'd never had. I was always support staff. I was always helping somebody else produce their vision. Now here's the thing. Yes, there's a weight, but there's also a grace to carry that weight. I wasn't doing it in and of myself. Well, the same is true for him. So you have to be careful. Because the enemy is going to try to work his way in. He's going to try to come in and try to divide. He's going to try to, to pull people away. That, that's the way the enemy works. The Bible says that he's subtle. He's crafty. He's working an angle. And yet here it says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. It says instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So here's how I would paraphrase verse 7 for you. Don't complain, start praying. 
If you want to help, pray. That's the most important thing you can do. It just is. It's the most important thing you can do is to pray. Because, I, and again, I said this earlier, I believe what God is doing through this moment is greater than anything that we can see right now. I believe it's much bigger than just what we know of. What does that look like? I don't know yet. We're going to find out together. Why? Because it's the Lord. It's not five steps to transform a city. That's not the way this works. None of us are good enough, strong enough, smart enough, powerful enough to do that anyways. It's got to be the Lord anyways. In Joshua chapter 1, the second part of verse 5, Joshua is in a moment of transition, has an unexpected answer, which is that Moses has passed away. And he's talking to God, going, God, are you sure you got the right guy? Are you sure? Second part of verse 5, God tells Joshua, and he says, I will be with you as I was with Moses. He says, and I will not fail you, and I will not abandon you. See, the same Jesus that you experience in the same presence of God that you experience even in this room is the same Jesus that you will continue to experience. That doesn't change. God's word is true. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. So I want to give you just a couple of things. You're like, well, what can I be doing? These are just some practical things. You're like, what do I do in this moment right now? Because I'm not quite sure. I used to know what to pray for. Now I'm not quite sure what to pray for. I used to know these things. I used to, you know, we'll be communicating some of these things moving forward just so that there's clarity. But in this moment, you know, for I would say the next month, month and a half, here's some direct things that you can do. They're practical things. So number one, I'm, I'm asking for you to remain faithful. I'm asking you to remain faithful. Don't allow the enemy to shake you. Because he'll try. He will. You know, the word faithful, if you actually go study it out, I mean, it actually means full of faith. That's what faithful actually means. We think of it faithful. It's like, I just keep doing the things that I do. Okay, there's an element of that, yes, but it actually means to remain full of faith. So don't let the enemy come in and shake you in this moment. Keep your faith level up. Continue to come to church. I kind of like preaching to somebody. But here's the reality is that we don't do church for my ego. We do church to reach people. We want to get people into the presence of God. We want to see God work in people's hearts and people's lives. Well, you help with that. Just your presence helps with that. Just being here and entering into worship and all of those types of things. You help create the moment. So, remain faithful. Come to church. Continue to pray. Continue to serve. Continue to give. You're like, well, why? Because this isn't the end. It's really not. Some of you may feel like it, and the enemy may be telling you that. And you've, I mean, especially for those of you who have been around for a long time. Man, y'all worked really hard to get here. Y'all worked really hard for this moment. Y'all, man, you know, all those years, all that time... 
I mean, our church has only been at this location for right at five years. It was across town for 13 years, right? Six, six years here? And how many years over there? 15, whatever. I don't know, it's not that long, is it? 11. There we go. See, we're, we're really good at math. Aren't you glad we're holding the money? You know? <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding, just kidding. No, see, I believe that God is moving. I believe that God is in this. I believe God is leading us for something much greater than what we can see or know right now. But don't let the enemy come in and start whispering to you and say, nope. Again, I'll say it. If you've got questions, I'll tell you anything I know. But I do believe with all of my heart that this is the Lord. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think that. Wouldn't do it. And so, but you have to be aware of the moment too. You know, in Luke 4, it says that it's the great temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And it says that the enemy came and tempted or tried or tested Jesus for 40 days. And of course, he tempts him three major ways, which ultimately was a shortcut to get to the purpose that God had called him and really the assignment on his life. It was, that's really all those temptations were. It was just shortcuts to get there. And uh, so that's wise to know too. The enemy will always try to bring you a shortcut, but if it ain't God, you don't want to take the shortcut. And uh, anyhow, that's another sermon for another day. But, but he tempts him and he, and he realizes this is going nowhere. And at the end of that chapter, it says that when the enemy, it says in the course of time, so in other words, when the enemy had exhausted all of his tricks, it says that he left Jesus looking for a more opportune moment. In other words, he said, okay, I realize in this moment he ain't going to fold, but I'm going to come back and look for another one. So we have to be aware. That's why the Bible says, be awake, be alert. Why? Because you have an enemy who's what? Seeking for someone that he can devour. It doesn't mean that he can unless we allow him. He's seeking for someone who he may, may. Not that he can, not that he will, that he may. In other words, he's looking for somebody who's Drifted out by themselves. He's looking for somebody who is isolating themselves and pulling back. He's looking for somebody who's, who's pulling back from what God has placed in their heart. But when you do that, what you're doing is you're actually putting yourself in harm's way. So when you stay amongst the family that you're safe. And so that's what I'm asking for you. In this next season, and we're, we'll be communicating things to you as we kind of get all the things ironed out and details nailed down, all those types of things. But... Um, you know, just don't let this moment overwhelm you either. Don't let it take you and, and throw you. No, you still have a firm anchor. That's, what they, that's how Hebrews describes Jesus. He's an anchor for our soul that holds us. And so we can always go back to that.